And welcome back to the Inadvertent Whistle Podcast. I can't believe it. We actually have week number two, and it's still before the end of the year. So it's a shock to me. I'm Scott Fock Hansen, one of the hosts, and I want to introduce my co-host, Adam. So, Adam, how's everything been going for you this first week? And I know we have a special guest you want to introduce. Well, two games under my belt. I'm still walking. I'm still talking. So uh, all is going well. Yeah, I can't believe we have a second show in the first week either. Now, we might not have another one till February of 22, but you never know. But we are lucky today to be graced with the presence uh, with Senator Richard Vaughn, a longtime member of Cardinal, um, a volunteer through and through, um, a former president of Cardinal Basketball Officials Association, state championship official, but most importantly, an all-around good guy. So welcome to the show, Rick Dickey D. Well, thank you so much. That's really the first time Adam Brick has ever said more than two words that are actually complimentary toward me. So I'm already taken off kilter by this, this uh, new New Yorker generosity oozing out of your mouth right now. Well, as you know, it's just a setup for the fall later. So you of course, experience with, with nasty New Yorkers in, in, your, in your career to know what happens there. Um, so how's your week of uh, first games going, Dickie? I have had one game so far. Tuesday night was the opener. And I, I got to be honest with you guys. I, you know, all of us are sort of around the same age. And we, I think we're closer to the end of our careers than the beginning. And I got the truth. I was really, um, I was really looking forward to this season once I heard we were going to have fans in the stands. We all worked a season last year, which was a season unlike any others. But to be able to show up in a gym, uh, I had two decent teams, Madison and Marshall, with good student sections. The gym was about 80% full, which is pretty full for an opening season contest. And it was an atmosphere that uh, it just felt good again. And it made me feel about 10 years younger until, of course, the game was over and my legs feel like jelly. So uh, um, that's part of growing old and getting a little bigger in the waist. But uh, it's just good to be on the court again and to have fans and players and some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The, the atmosphere this week in, in both my games were the same, even though they weren't anywhere close to being full. It was nice to see the, to see the student sections for sure. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it is good. And, and even the coaches, the coaches that I talked to over the last two nights, they were excited about it. Um, and the student sections were good. Um, some of them were a little, well, we had one that was a little crazy. We had a, we had a, I'll give a warning to for, for, for some of the language that they chose to use. And so my, my, uh, my comments to them is always just be nice. Yeah. And they look at me like I'm crazy talking to them like a kindergarten teacher. Um, so Scott, what are we going to talk about today? What's on the list? Well, <clears throat> I thought since, you know, last week we dedicated the show to Bill Naylor and Joe Salcetti. 
um, we had talked about possibly sharing some stories. So I thought maybe we could start with that and then we can get into some pet peeves and um, maybe I'll start because I know that you guys have some really great stories about these guys, but I'll start with a story I had uh, with Joe. Joe and I were working a game with uh, uh, another official. We'll just call him Roger because that's his name. And we had a we had we had this situation, and if you know Joe, Joe was pretty um, set in his ways. And we had a situation where it was at the end of the half, and the ball uh, was going to go 94 feet, and so I knew that I had last second shot, uh, being opposite, and Joe was table side as the center, and there happened to be a steal with about three and a half seconds to go, and Roger was 94 feet away, and so. The kid goes in for a layup, and uh, Joe wipes off the basket. Rightly so, the ball was still in his hand. And I look back, and about 10 feet away from the division line, not even in the front court yet, Roger is scoring it. And so now I'm dealing with with two gentlemen who are very set in their ways. And literally, at <laughs> we got together, and Roger said, Joe, that's my call. Stay away from it. And Joe goes, well, that's fine, but it's wrong. And we should fix we should fix it. And then Roger goes, I don't care. You all do whatever you want to do. And Joe goes, What do we do? I go, Well, we cancel the basket. It's no good. Get in the locker room. Roger won't talk to either one of us. At the end of the game, the game ends up being a blowout. But there's a there's a last second shot by the team that's down by thirty. It's it's easy. It goes in, and then a second later, the horn goes off. We get in the locker room. Roger's starting to pack his bag so he can leave as quickly as he can. He goes, Hey. Joe says, hey, Roger, real quick, would you have scored that basket? <laughs> just, just being Joe. And I, I I, dearly miss that kind of sarcastic humor from him. And it made Roger laugh, and we were able to get through it. So I, I just – uh, and, and the three of us know all too well, um, you know, Joe's demeanor and character in board meetings for Cardinal which is where that it was even more prominent. The, the, you know, no nonsense. I mean, he used to time you Scott for how long you would take with your, you know, half hour report. Um, <laughs> and so I, I missed that. Um, I really missed that interaction with Joe at, at the board meetings um, because not only was he just a, obviously a, a, an invaluable member of our, uh, of our leadership, but the, the fun times we had with, with, with him just, Hey, let's move this along. Um, and obviously I'm not going to repeat the ways in which he said it at the meetings, but yeah, I uh, would definitely miss that. Yeah. You know, two things. One also as a former president, you, and having been on several officiating boards over the years uh, with my travels, you forget how lucky you are when you have a really good by the book money guy. There are so many boards that go haywire and money goes missing or things don't get organized properly. And to have had Joe as long as we did to keep us right down the prim and proper line, you know, that's why Cardinal has always been respected as a well-run organization. And we probably, that reputation has earned many ways because of Joe. And the only other story I would have was Salsetti. Salsetti, if you ever watched him referee, he had this unique gait running up and down the floor. 
he just sort of, he loped along, he had sort of leaning over and he, he had this long stride. It always made me laugh. And so to this day, uh, Joe Salcetti was the only guy that I would force to do a long switch because anybody that knows me knows that I hate the long switch, never understood it, never understood why we had to do it. So I really didn't do it, but I would force Joe to do it just because I wanted to watch him run down the floor. And, um, the first time I did it, I, I just, you know, Joe fully expected me to not force the switch. And so I immediately called fail and I walk all the way down to Salt City. I said, dude, we got to do the long switch. And he just looked at me like I was an alien. And he's like, and I can't use the exact words. Like, what are you doing? And I said, Joe, I just want to see you run down the floor. And there was a <laughs> about a three or four string line of expletives that only he and I could hear. And then I watched him do his little lope down the floor and, and laugh the rest of the game. But That's he's awesome. Joe was a great guy. We miss him. And, um, um, it just, um, it's, you, you, it's sad that these things have happened and, and you time flies. I mean, it just feels like 20 years ago, I was the young guy and I was just happy to be a U2 on a crew with Salsetti and, and then to have experienced all this time with him, both on the floor and off, um, it's been a big loss for us. Yeah, and uh, totally agree with everything you said. Um, it reminds me we're going to need to confiscate the passport of our new treasurer just in case uh, he's not anywhere near as good as Joe, so he can't abscond with money. Um, so little Yeti, we need that passport. Um you know, and Bill Naylor was also salt of the earth, um, a longtime member of, of, of Cardinal and served on the board. Um, you know, I worked my first ever playoff game on the road with Bill down at uh, U-Haul in Charlottesville. Um, and I remember driving down uh, with, with Bill and, and Don. I was actually the tallest guy in the crew, which didn't happen often. Um, and we're about an hour and a half before game time when we get down there. It's a Saturday night, and we stop at Roy Rogers, and these two guys are eating, like, full-on meals. And I could barely uh, sip a Coke without throwing up. I was so nervous. But, but Don and, and, and Bill were great and you know, again, keeping the young guy in the rocking chair so I didn't get myself in trouble. Uh, but one night back in the in the two man days, I was working a game with Bill at one of our schools, and he had just had not too long before that, I think gallbladder surgery. And in the locker room before the game, he was giving me the play by play gross details of the surgery, <laughs> uh, which is really not my cup of tea. And so, for those of you that do know Bill, uh, way back in the day. You know, in two-man crews, the, the referee and the umpire were not assigned. But if you got to a game with Bill Naylor, you knew you were going to be the umpire because Bill was throwing the ball up. So Bill throws the ball up. ball gets tapped. I got to hustle my butt down to the, to the baseline, Mike. Um, and we have a bucket. I look up, and Bill is laying in the center circle. <laughs> Blow my whistle, and I'm – as I'm going up to him, I'm thinking, oh, God, his gut just split open. You know, we're going to have I gotta have to get, you know, EMTs here. I go, Bill, Bill, what's going on? He goes, he goes, I got kicked in the crown jewels. 
And so I turned around and put my hands up there, and I just looked at everybody. I said, that's all right. He's okay. And, uh, you know, we eventually got him up and we continued the game. And, um, but he was a trooper. I mean, he's the only guy I know that fall, fell off a chair in a locker room before a game. Um, great guy, uh, great official, and, and we're going to miss him dearly as well. Uh, those are some great memories. I tell you, just having pillars like this, we could probably share a story of these guys during every, during every episode, all three or four episodes we do this year. So, um, and then by the way, I want to thank Steve Mahoyla who sent me an email and just, he claimed listener number seven. So um, the bad news is we probably lost a couple, so he might just be listener number five. Well, I don't know. Lucky seven. Let's, uh, let's head out to uh, um, casino and start playing some crafts. Maybe we, maybe we can get little Yeti to get some of the money. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's a good time maybe to, to shift gears and talk about some pet peeves. And, um, you know, I don't, Dickie V, you're our guest. You want to start off with a pet peeve that you have in, in, in the world of officiating? So you told me we were going to talk about pet peeves, and I immediately was able to craft a top 10 list, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if that says a lot about me, but uh, that's all. I have yeah. about, I have 872. <laughs> but I mean, listen, Again, when you're dealing uh, right now on this podcast, you got three guys. And I think if you add up all of our officiating experience, we're probably at 100 years of basketball experience or pretty darn close to it. Um, so when you do enough of these games and you love the craft and the art of officiating as we do, things naturally start to grate on your nerves, certain things that certain guys and gals do on the floor. So it's, you know, all officiating, despite this new desire in the 21st century to turn officials into robots, which is, this might be my biggest pet peeve of all, is that we've turned this profession into something that, you know, I don't particularly enjoy as much as maybe some of the new guys do, is that we just want to make everybody look the same, talk the same, act the same. And I just don't think that's really possible in a human business. But uh, so when I was making this list, I mean, there's a whole host of things, but I, the first thing that really always stuck out to me, uh, and it's probably my biggest pet peeve, is the angry, unapproachable referee. I mean, how many times do you go out on a floor and you see a guy who just looks like he's mad at the world from the get-go he looks like somebody that you don't want to talk to. Um, players don't want to come up to him. He doesn't want to explain any of his calls. He doesn't want to interact with the players. And he just looks like a miserable person out there. And I think it right from the get-go, when you throw up a ball and you've got a referee who looks that way and acts that way, the game is already a notch below what it should be. You know, listen, this is a game. And it's serious and wins and losses are important and no one takes winning and losing more uh, in, in a more important fashion than I do. But at the end of the day, it's also a game. And the people who are very good at this business are the ones who take their job seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously. So I always want people, I want to work with a crew and that's easy to say with you two dummies, because if we go out on the floor, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like the Rat Pack out there doing a, an act, but you know, they're, you need referees who understand their role in the game, but don't just – don't act like you're solving the world's crises here. All right? You're refereeing a basketball game. 
Enjoy it and do a good job. Amen. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir there, brother. Um, I'll, I'll just share one real quick because I know Adam's probably got a really good one too. But uh, no, I want to hear more of Dickie's. I don't need to talk about mine. <laughs> All right, Dickie, you got another one? Go ahead and share another one. Um, okay. Well, since we're uh, – I'm looking at my list now. So number two for me was the, the over-explaining referee. You know, Adam sort of references at the beginning of the year, he called me Senator. For those of you who might not know me, um, my day job, I work on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress. So I'm in the political world. So I always have this story that, you know, I'm used to being hated 24-7. You know, you work for a member of Congress. Everyone thinks you're corrupt or incompetent. So you, you turn around and go referee a basketball game. Well, guess what? Everybody in the gym thinks you're corrupt or incompetent. And then I go home at night and my wife is just mad at me for spending all my time with politics and basketball. So I don't think she thinks I'm corrupt and incompetent, but she gets mad at me too. So uh, uh, I'm just used to being Some hated. of the conversations I've had with her, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but with that said, that goes back when I'm talking about over-explaining. We have a saying here in the Congress, if you're explaining, you're losing. And so you, you watch officials, particularly when they're having dialogues with coaches and they've got this long-winded explanation as to why they called something or didn't call something. And listen, if you can't explain it in one line, you're wrong. Even if you're right, you're wrong. So, you know, when I'm watching officials have these lengthy conversations with players and coaches, I'm thinking, nobody's buying what you're selling, pal. Get in and get out. You know, Dickie, I think you just hit, and, and I know we're talking about pet peeves, Scott, but Dickie just hit the two ends of the spectrum of why this is an art and not a science because pet peeve one was the unapproachable guy who, who doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Pet peeve two is the guy who can't explain his way out of a paper bag. Correct. And the art of being a good long lasting to great and excellent official is finding that happy medium in between and there's no right or wrong way to do it. You got to find it with your own personality. You can't be dicky. You can't do it like other people. You've got to pick and choose um, from different people. What, you know, observe. That's the one thing and kind of I'll, I'll lead into a pet people to add on to that is, is officials at the JV level and, and freshman level. They don't stay and watch games anymore at the varsity level. And that was one of the, the, the best ways uh, that helped me along the way was to stay and watch what varsity officials did to talk with them after games, whether that was in the locker room or out for a, a cocktail after the game, but you pick and choose, you know, what worked for Gene Harrison typically worked for me, but it, it doesn't mean that it had to, um, or what worked for somebody like a Mickey McDade or a Maury Sharon's or Joe Salcedo, you pick and choose. And so, you know, to me, that art that Dickie just defined between those two pet peeves, and it's a chasm. That's a that's like the Grand Canyon between those two. And you got to find you got to find your way in in, in there. Um, so, you know, yeah, we should just turn the show over to Dickie. Dickie, you're on the roll, brother. Keep going. He, he did at least ten listeners. <laughs> I mean, we may be this might be a three person show here pretty soon. <laughs> Well, God knows I know how to talk. I'm not good at anything else in my life, but I can, I can talk my way in and out of a hole. So, yes, you definitely can, particularly the end part. Well, 
So just heading along those lines, let's just throw a couple other things out there and you guys can and can chime in. And this is a, this is actually a funny one. And I was thinking about this the other day. And we all notice this when we observe officials. Um, the referee who makes a call at the spot, but then when he goes to the table, everything's a push. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. You got a block. You got a a hit on the arm, you got a trip. It doesn't matter what it is. They'll get it right at the spot, but then it feels like once they get to the table, they've either forgotten what they're calling or they're just so enamored with their push call that they go to the table and it's 24 white push, 32 blue push. It's like, wait a minute, you tripped the guy to the floor or you smacked him in the head. How did this turn into a push? Speaking uh, of smacking in the head, I, I love the, the variety of, of, you know, calling that the kid got hit on the head at the table. And I, I've seen some guys get so excited that it looks like they were, uh, you know, almost going to be uh, putting, you know, themselves into a concussion protocol from hitting themselves too hard <laughs> in the head. <laughs> you know, but again, tying all three of Nikki's pet peeves together. It's, and, and I remember the old Budweiser commercials. It was about drinkability, right? Going back five, six, seven, eight years. Officiating is about believability. Um, probably much like politics, Dickie. Yep. And and so you could you could make you could be out there and make the correct call. You know, the kid got hit in the head, you've got the foul. Now you go over to the table and you signal a, a push, you're losing people. Yep. Um, you're telling a story. You're when you blow that whistle, all eyes are on you. And you've got an opportunity to tell the story of what just happened. And you, again, whether it's, uh, you know, having a good demeanor about it, not being angry about it, making sure everybody understands, um, you know, it, it, and the same goes for the kid goes up for a layup. He's clearly in the act of shooting. He gets pushed into next week. Um, you blow the whistle, the ball goes in. We don't really have to sell that call. And we don't even have to, and everybody comes out yelling, you know, one shot, two shots, whatever it is. Everybody in the gym knows it's a, it's a shooting foul. Save it for when you need to save it for. Um, you know, so to me, that, that of my, my four C's when I do have a pregame with a crew, one of the most, the most important one is communication. Um, and that goes right along with what you just, what you just described. Yeah. And it's funny you said that because that was actually one of my, uh, pet peeve bullet points that I also have on my list. It's like the, the, the big voice guy or the overselling of the mundane call. It's right. just unneeded. And again, it's one of those things, like you said, you're like it or not, you know, in a perfect world, you could just go out and referee a game and not have to worry about your credibility, but the best referees in the world from the beginning of time, when Dr. Naismith invented this game, and then we started having officials in games, the best ones were always judged on their ability to make the right call, but to make the right call in the right set of circumstances. And so when you've, you know, when you have put people in the stands and you got coaches, as you mentioned, Adam, there's that one moment in time when the referee cracks his whistle and suddenly every eye in the gym, players, coaches, fans, they're focused on the one guy or gal wearing the stripes. And you got to get it right, but you also have to present it in a way that people think, hey, this person knows what they're doing. And if you look like you don't know what you're doing, or if you look like you're, 
you know, trying out for a Broadway play, you're going to lose credibility from the get go. And so if you got a regular call that everybody in the gym knows about and everyone knows it was a foul or a violation, there's no need to exaggerate it. There's no need to put the booming voice on it. There's no need to dance up the sidelines. Save that moment for the call that 50% of the gym is going to think one thing, 50% of the gym is going to think the other. And you've got to, you got to put it out there that, Hey, I know what I saw. Amen. How about the out of bounds play where the ball goes out on the baseline and all 10 kids go running up the other end and the official blows his whistle and says, no, no, stay here. <laughs> right. All, all, all 10 kids are already on the other half of the court, except for the, you know, the kid that's going to take the ball out of bounds. And maybe you ought to start thinking, Hmm, maybe I didn't quite get that right. Right now I'm Everybody knows it's going the other way. Yet I think I saw a tip. Yeah. Um, you know, you, that's where the common sense comes in. Well, that, right? that's experience too, Adam. Because if there's an opportunity to learn anything, it's just taking your time on that play. Because yeah. why do we want to sell that? <laughs> that's like the last thing you want to sell. Yeah. And I mean, the worst part too is when your your crew. Let's say that situation happens and you've pointed one way and the players are going the other. Now at that point, I know I might have I might have screwed this one up. If I'm a good partner, I'm going to come to my official, even if I didn't have the best look at it, and we're just going to have a dialogue about, hey, what do you think? Did I did we miss something here? I think we did. And I, there's been a time where I've had players go the other way. I called it the wrong way, but my partner didn't come over. I actually walked over to my partner and forced a conversation and said, I think you need to tell me to change the call. There's no way I got this right. So just nod with, your head. He nodded his head and I bugged with him like we're going the other way. now. I, I did that with Ron Jackson once. I walked over to him and, and he's like, what's up? And I go, do you like chicken tenders? And he's like, What? I go, thank you. And I pointed that away. He's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> well, you should ask him if you like catfish. That would have been the more appropriate question. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I was like last night, I had a play, a bang, bang, out of bounds play on the sideline. I was the, I was the center in front of one of the benches and the benches are tight to the court. And the ball came over quick. Um, bang, bang, offensive player, defensive player. The ball actually uh, hits me standing out of bounds. And I blow my whistle, but honestly, I couldn't tell. I was so close to it by the time it got to me. I had no place to go. I really didn't know who hit the ball. Yet, I just put my hand up, which I know is unusual. Um, but I do put my, my hand straight up in the air and out of bounds plays when I don't know. And I kind of waited for that quarter of a second. For the, and, and I heard the offensive player, you know, cussing about it. And the, the coach yelling at him what he was doing and – I heard the defense yell our ball. So I could tell by the way everybody was reacting that the ball went off the offense. And so we just went the other way with it. Um, and I let them call the play for me. I didn't have to go to one of my partners. Um, and it, it, it didn't take very long because you can tell by their reaction to the ball went off it sometimes. Yep. Um, what else you got on that magic list, Dickie? Um, let's see. What else here? Oh, this is a good one. I And it's always been – you used to see this a lot more with more senior officials, maybe 20 years ago. There used to be this unofficial rule that I'll only talk to the head coach. I don't talk to the assistants. 
I only talk to the captain. I don't talk to any of the other players. Maybe I'm a little new age on this. I've never subscribed to that theory. I mean, listen, this game is hard enough to officiate as it is. Uh, the, the quick the players have gotten quicker, faster, stronger. You need as many friends as you can get on the floor, whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach or a kid who might not be the captain, but you can tell he's got a level head on his shoulders when maybe three or four of the other dummies on the floor don't. And so it's always been my opinion that I will interact with anybody. As long as you're being respectful, I'm trying to be respectful. You'll, you never know when that relationship that you build is going to help you out at some point in the game. Like I always tell people, particularly with assistant coaches, a, a great time to interact when you've got a problem in a game, maybe a player's acting up, maybe somebody's being a little silly on the floor, maybe their, their temper's getting the best of them and we're getting close to a point where it could escalate and you got a timeout. Well, the last thing I want to do is go interrupt the head coach. The head coach is in the huddle. He's coaching his players. But you've got a huddle, and guess what? The, in modern basketball, most of these coaches have got 48 assistants these days. Yep. So they're all around the perimeter of the huddle. Grab a guy and say, hey, listen, uh, I just want to give you a heads up, man. You know, 14 white, love him to death, but he's getting animated. He's getting angry. He's getting frustrated. Help me out. And you'd be amazed at how – Assistants can then step in with the head coach or they'll pull the kid aside separately and they appreciate the engagement as well. And let's face it, guys, head coaches, most head coaches at some point were an assistant coach. So for every friend that you're making in the assistant coach world, these are guys that 5, 10, 15 years from now, they're head coaches and they're going to remember that time that officials treated them with respect, interacted with them. And you've already built that relationship now that makes it a lot easier for you to walk into a gym and have instant credibility with a new guy in the profession. So that's always been my opinion. I think I know you guys have been on the same page with that. One hundred percent. And it's I, and, like and an art form. And only one thing I'll correct is you don't have that doesn't you use the word instant credibility. No, you're building up that credibility over time. You get it instantly when that guy walks into the uh, uh, into the head coaching position. But yep. By talking to assistant coaches like that, your credibility is rising because you're showing that you understand the game. And that's right. really what they're looking for. They're, I mean, the two things coaches are looking for, one, well, probably three. One is that we hear what they're saying yep. or some form of acknowledgement. Number two, that belief that, you know, we understand the game so that three, those two things add up to they think they're getting a fair shake. And that really is the recipe, right? They, they just want to know that when they – the highest compliment as an official you can get is when a coach says, when Dickie V walks – when I walk in a gym and I see Dickie V, I know I'm in good hands tonight. I know I'm not getting screwed. I know he's going to take care of business. I know we're in, I know we're in good hands. Yep. There is no higher compliment that you can get than that. Absolutely agree. Um, the, one of the techniques I use um, with assistant coaches is at the first time out, you know, if I, I, you got to go over and do that first horn stuff. I always walk over and I go, all right, who's the first horn coach tonight? <laughs> right, just try to do something to have a little fun. I mean, it, it, and you said, Dickie, you know, you'll talk to anybody. You and I are always just looking for people to talk to because we get bored during timeouts and, and situations. So we're going to go, you and I are going to go talk to anybody we can talk to. Yeah. Um, 
If the wall talked, we talked to the wall. <clears throat> I, I, I hate to cut off the pet peeves because we're, we're so don't. already. Let, let, let's, let's get one more. And then I, I got a, an email here that I know Dickie V will find uh, interesting to talk about. So Dickie V, look, end us with one, one last good one here. All right. Uh, so looking at some of the last ones, let's pick a good one here. Um, well, this one's a good one. It, it, it's, you know, we particularly podcasts like this are designed to really get you into the philosophy of officiating, not just the, the science of it. And so for me, another pet peeve of mine is the, the referee who's unable to manage a game that's been decided, a blowout or a game that's now a 10-point game with 10 seconds to go. Now, listen, we all know a foul is a foul is a foul. That's what's been ingrained in us. That's what they teach you at the, the, the most basic camps where you're trying to learn this profession. But at the end of the day, as you matriculate through the system and you become a more senior referee, the ones that also earn their keep are the ones who know how to manage games that have been decided, even though there's still time on the clock. And there are some flexibilities you have in terms of call selectivity, whether it's violations or fouls, that the best officials know how to interject and either make or not make a call. There's too many times when I think younger referees don't know when to take their foot off the throttle. And we've, we take a game that's been determined and somebody's already in a bad mood because they're getting beat by 25 points and we're still sticking them with what most people would argue are unnecessary cheap fouls. And it, it takes a game that's, you know, already uncomfortable. And now we've, we're dragging it out and making it miserable and we're creating an opportunity for more bad things to develop that wouldn't have developed otherwise if we manage the game out and see it to its conclusion with a minimal number of whistles. So it's always a, uh, a problem of mine. And it's when you're a senior official, a crew chief, you have a little bit more flexibility when you're working with younger officials during a dead ball or a timeout or in between quarters to, to say, Hey fellas, it's time to dial it back. Let's make sure we're being selective on our calls. Don't let's get the obvious stuff. Let's make sure people aren't getting hurt, but you know, let's not, let's now's not the time to be persnickety. So that's another one of my pet peeves, the overmanagement. Yeah. I think that's covered in, in rule uh, 2.15. Uh, in the rule book, which is the what I would call the UN peacekeeping mission rule, right? In some second halves of games and fourth quarters, we become a, a peacekeeping mission to make sure nobody kills anybody. Correct. Right. Um, and yes, I have the rule book out. It's 2.15. Yeah, 2.15. That sound you heard was Mike Preston just falling over in his chair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So... Dickie, we might have to have you come back to share some more pet peeves because this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. But I I got an email here, and Dickie, you're going to enjoy this one especially. Um, and our mailbag is sponsored by the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp. We're we're back in business. We will have camp this summer. You can go visit the website at sgboc.com, and registration should be opening up here uh, right around the Christmas holiday time. And for the six listeners who are listening and maybe thinking of going to the camp, 
you will get actual face-to-face involvement with the three dummies on this podcast if you go. No, no, no. no, no. We want people to go to this camp. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't say that. Not only that, but <laughs> we're audio for a reason. <laughs> Nobody wants yeah, to we have the that. perfect face for radio. Yes. You can't be like Julian Brown or uh, Greg Austin who does this stuff with uh, YouTube and videos. So that's not us. So right, for, for, for all the spouses out there, you can, you can, you can buy a, uh, a camp registration for uh, a Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa gift for your, for your special loved one to come to camp. Yeah. And it gets, gets them out of the house. Yeah. So, so the email we got today comes from wise Virginia slash good old Bristol. Tennessee. Yes. The email comes from Samantha Stanley. Hey, Scott, just wanted to check in and let you know that we're excited to hear that the camp is coming back and can't wait to come again. Is there anything new that we should be paying attention to for this coming season? So I have to give everybody this little tidbit about Samantha. Samantha is what I would call five feet of fury. She's down in this little area of Tennessee. She's got tattoos up and down her arms. And I looked at her one day and I said, I said, you're, you're pretty tough. You're not going to let anybody uh, push you around, are you? And she goes, oh, the tattoos just throw people off. I'm real sweet on the inside. And, and the reason I bring her up in, 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 in this email that we got is we as uh, officials, just in general, not just cardinal, no matter where you are, whatever state you are, we have really a responsibility to help officials in rural areas. And it's something that we do not do a good job of. Um, Samantha and Emma came up from that Bristol, Tennessee area uh, where they probably have, you know, a, a traffic light or two. Dickie V, I know this is your neck, My of, neck the of the woods, woods boys. And um, I just, I just want to say, and I, I let Dickie, you, you talk about this. We've got to do a better job of, of helping. I mean, we try to do, we try to help everybody, but we want to really reach out to those in those smaller communities and let them know that they're coming. And and Dickie, I'm just going to share this with you. We, um, Steve and I have made the decision to offer Emma and Samantha a full scholarship to this year's camp. Um, And a lot of that has to do with you and and some of the things that you share with us. So you want to just jump in on this? Well, yes. And You're exactly right. I grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee, which along with Bristol and Johnson City are called the Tri-Cities. We're in the northeast corner of the state. Um, uh, I went to school at the University of Tennessee, and it's very funny. I, many years ago, got into umpiring baseball when I was a teenager because I was playing Little League and enjoyed the game and just sort of had a love for it. Uh, And the local baseball director just got me into umpiring mainly because he didn't want to pay better umpires and he had a dummy that he could probably pay $4 a game to. And uh, I would sit out there all day and, and umpire baseball. So I had a little bit of a background in officiating, but had never thought about basketball and wouldn't even have known how to get into it. Um, I was very fortunate that my freshman year at the university of Tennessee, I got roped into it because really the sec referees got tired of me sitting on the front row and yelling at them. And, you know, and one of those weird stories that's probably more suited for its own episode, uh, you know, I got pulled into officiating by guys who just got tired of hearing me. So 
there's a lot of people out there who would like to get into this business and would have a skill for it and they just don't know how. And once they figure out who's assigning games, there's a lot of associations that don't really provide training. It's like you either learn how to do this or you don't. And so the thing that makes me happiest about Cardinal and why I have such great respect for the organization is that we are really from a ground up kind of, of, of board. And Adam is a prime example of a guy who, you know, was born and raised in the Cardinal system. I transferred in um, and, you know, we obviously have a lot of transfers here because of the nature of living in Washington, DC, you have people moving in and out for government jobs, but, you know, it's very important particularly in Southwest Virginia, rural areas where you just don't have the same level of uh, organization and administration to get as many people as we can who show even the slightest of interest in this job, because let's face it, there's a shortage of officials. Uh, that's probably another episode that could uh, take up an hour, hour and a half. Uh, but we need more referees. The, the three dummies on this podcast, we're at the end of our careers, can't do this much longer. Um, but there's a real concern that we're not going to have the, the, the manpower, the people power to keep fulfilling the, the jobs that uh, these high schools need to get these games officiated. And so insofar as being able to reach out to as many people as we can, bring them on board, give them some training. God, I, it, you know, we need more of it. And so, you know, to be able to just participate in some small way and try to help bring a new generation along the same way that I was helped when I was just a young buck with a, an interest in it. Um, we need it. And I'm glad that you guys have been engaged. And Steve Gordon is a fantastic guy who agrees with all this as well. And uh, he's a wonderful mentor for, for anybody who wants to aspire to be an official. Well said. Adam, you have anything you want to add to that? No, I think uh, Dickie V hit the nail on the head once again. Um, and I would just encourage anyone that is either interested in getting into officiating or maybe has done it for a couple of years or maybe he's done it for a while and, and could use a refresher or maybe wants to learn about some of the philosophy we've talked about today to come to camp. It is a straight up teaching camp. If you are looking to uh, get picked up, to get games, then this is not the camp for you. Yeah. And let me just quickly add before you guys cut us off. I mean, the great thing about this camp, there's a lot of them out there that are money grabbing camps. You know, they call them identification camps. If you're looking to move up, get on a college roster and those, those camps play a role. Don't get me wrong. But this camp and what makes it so unique among a lot of others is that we make no bones about it. It's a straight up training camp to get you reacquainted or acquainted for the first time with the skills you need to officiate basketball. It's, it's, it is what it is. And it, we're not going to pretend that it's something else. So there's no pressure here. There's no, you know, you got to try to show off in front of a group of 30 other really good basketball officials to try to get noticed. We're here to teach you the most basic skills to get you situated where you can hopefully turn this into a, a profession that we've enjoyed for as long as we have. Yeah. And the, the, the key point there, like you said, Dickie, it's a teaching camp. We yep. are, we're not a hiring camp and we tell people, if you want to be hired, don't come to our camp. It's, it's yep. not the right thing for you. Um, we also, 
we don't want your money year in and year out. We say we think that you should come twice. Um, and then after that, you know, we, we recommend other camps. Roger Ayers has a great camp. Mark yep. Lindsay has a great camp. Eric Lewis has a great camp. Yep. Uh, and there's many others out there. But we really want to, you know, pay attention to just helping the referee. We're not in it for the money. 250 bucks for three days and two nights is, is a pretty good deal. I don't think you can find anywhere else. Nope. Um, right now. And uh, we do have scholarships available for those that need it. So, boys, with that, Adam, I got to tell you, we might have a three-person booth going forward here with Dickie V. As long as nobody storms the Capitol again, we should be uh, – although somebody looks like somebody's standing behind him there. We should, uh, <laughs> we should pay attention to – you know, maybe getting Dickie back on pretty soon. Amen. So anytime uh, I can talk about basketball instead of government shutdowns, I'm always going to choose basketball. And a boy. Well, next time we'll have to talk about baseball shutdowns, apparently. So uh, indeed. So uh, for our guest, Richard Vaughn, our friend Dickie V, we thank you so much for coming in and joining us today and sharing your, your wisdom. And as always, Adam, you have the last word. Once again, uh, thanks to Dickie, and may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Wait, wait.